So we are about to start our last session, and we are going to talk about how to love our husbands by making our home a refuge. You should be getting now um, your last handouts. You should have one that says seven ways the godly woman can excite her husband. And these involve visual stimulation, remember letting him look at you, clothing and appearance, hair, eyes as a source of excitement, perfume, her lips and mouth, and her breasts. Okay? We just talked about being a companion and helpmate. So you should have a sheet with some ideas on that. And again, these are things just to stimulate your thinking and take some of these, um, this scripture and these things I've shared and take them from the theoretical to the practical. Um, do not feel overwhelmed. I joke about if you're feeling this full, just tamp it down and get ready for a little more. But do not feel overwhelmed. If you feel overwhelmed, that is not from the Holy Spirit. That's from the enemy. Because God deals with us um, in a particular way. The Holy Spirit will draw attention to something in particular that he wants to draw your attention to, for God to deal with you on. Uh, some of these things, when you hear them, uh, you are probably going, well, I'm doing that. Well, great. You know, it's always good to know when you're doing something that's good and what the purpose of it is, because these are all ways we express our ways to, these are all areas in which we can express our love to our husband. And again, the question is, if I am not willing to do this, who do I want to do it for me? And the answer is no. God's given me this relationship and this time in order to minister to my husband in this way. You know, your kids will never be the ages they are again. If you have a three-year-old, he is only going to be three this year. Next year, he'll be four. And you can't go back as much as you would like to. So enjoy three, age three. I can remember um, when my first child went to school, uh, I had several friends who were like, oh, my heart is just breaking like it has a hole in it because now my child has gone to school. And I thought, well, it is true it's different, and it's hard to not be the primary influence in their lives anymore. But think of all the good things they're learning and how their world is expanding and you've prepared them for this moment. And now they are going off, and you're going to be able to welcome them, and they're going to be learning all these new things. You know, enjoy this age, because school will never be new to them like it is that first year. So these are things to be an encouragement to you, and just to stimulate your thinking. Be a companion to him in some of the different ways we've talked about. So now we are going to finish up by talking about loving our husbands by making our home a refuge. Have you ever thought about your home that way? Some of us tend to think of our home as a display. You know, this is something we have very um, diligently worked at to make it beautiful for other people to notice. Maybe we think of our home as, um, I mean, obviously it's a place to live in, but God wants us to make our home a refuge from the world, a safe place 
the Bible, let's, uh, somebody I believe has Proverbs 14.1. Who has that, please? The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. So we are in the business of building our house, and that involves the um, physical care and maintenance and decoration and whatever of our homes, but it also involves the atmosphere. If a house as a refuge, uh, the idea of it being a refuge is creating a specific atmosphere for our homes where people feel safe and secure. And that basic, that primarily is our, the result of our work. We are the ones who affect the atmosphere more than anyone else in our home. Our husbands certainly contribute to us, but we're the ones who do most of the atmosphere setting in our homes. And there are different aspects of building a house. Let me read to you. This is from Five Aspects of Womanhood by Barbara Mauser. My daughter gave this to me, and I really thought it was helpful. The first level of building a house is housekeeping, and that's just daily duties, cleaning, dusting, washing dishes, straightening. That's housekeeping. But then if you take it to the next level, then you are homemaking, and that's the atmosphere that I'm talking about, conducive to rest, fellowship, love, learning, security, making a haven from your home. That's homemaking, because it's no longer a house, now it's a home. Then there is home building, and that's what we are talking about in this Proverbs 14 verse. The long-term life work of helping a man, creating and nurturing a family, earning a reputation, blessing the local church and the community, strengthening the nation, and thus influencing the world. Have you ever thought about that before? That by building your home with your family, you are actually influencing the world. Because who are we raising? We are raising the future. We are raising future leaders in the church, leaders in the country, leaders in the world. Not necessarily political leaders, maybe, but um, our children are one day going to be pillars in the church. We pray, you know, we pray for that goal, and we work t- towards that goal. Excuse me, I need to sip of water. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4 says, did I give this to anybody? I don't think I did. Okay. By wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established. And by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. So we're talking now about making our home a refuge. Let's talk first about a refuge is not. It's when you, um, uh, you all know I'm a language teacher. One of the things you do when you're defining words is you can define what they are not as a means of understanding what they are. So let's talk about what a refuge is not. Proverbs 7, 11. Some translations say she is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. You know, I've told you a couple of my aha moments with scripture. This was another one. Because I was at a point, my children were all little, and I was at a point where um, at the end of the day, I just felt like we were we were all crazy. We were The kids were cranky. I was cranky. My husband came home to a cranky world. I felt like the house was a mess. You know, I was stressed. It, it, I just, it was not, our home was not the place I wanted it to be. 
And I was praying about what I could do differently to help it because I knew, you know, we were walking with God. We were involved in ministry. Um, I loved my husband. We were getting along. There were lots of things that were good, but I just felt like our house was crazy. So one of the things God brought to mind was from this verse. Um, I didn't feel like I was rebellious or boisterous especially, but the second half of this verse really applied to me. Her feet do not remain at home. I was so busy with going to this and this activity or this errand or that errand or going to the grocery store or the cleaners or doing this with somebody or picking the kids up and taking them to some activity that we were just constantly on the go. And whoever was not involved in the activity with four kids was being dragged along with the other three. So it's no wonder that we were feeling that way because everybody was exhausted. So I examined my schedule, cut out some stuff that was really extra, combined some stuff, but basically set my daily schedule up where I had two days a week where I ran errands. And I spent primarily the whole day running errands on those days, a good portion of it, kind of group stuff in locations so that I, and we were actually living in a small town, so it was easier than it is in Houston. But, um, <clears throat> and then the other three days of the daily work week, I was at home all day with the kids. And that made a world of difference. I could tell the difference in a week because um, the kids were eating at regular times they were getting their naps in when they needed to be. They were able to go to the bathroom when they needed to, not me rushing them in and out because it was available. Um, uh, we were, I was able to play and spend time with them. You know, we just weren't so busy. And again, in all the things that have been difficult with this pandemic, that is one thing that it has helped is just slowing us down because we're not doing all these other activities. So um, I praise God for that aspect of what we've been going through. But a refuge is not having everybody going all sorts of different directions to the point where you're all stressed and crazy. That is not a refuge. We've looked at Proverbs 14.1 again. Can you read that for us, please, Tanya, one more time? Sorry, you had it marked and then you had moved on. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. So the foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. So we can destroy what we want so much to build if we are not careful with our attitude, with our actions, with our plans with the amount of activities we commit ourselves to, um, with just making foolish decisions. Okay, so a refuge is not a house that is torn down by foolishness. Proverbs 21, 9. It is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. I looked up the... Um, definition of the word contentious because I knew it was not a good quality <laughs> but it is not just being argumentative it means basically regularly trying to pick a fight and this says it's better to live in a corner of the roof 
than in a house shared with a contentious woman. And if you picture what the houses are like in the Middle East, where they're stone or bricks or clay or whatever, their roofs are flat and they are open. So if you're living in the corner of the roof, you experience every different change in the weather, whether it's wind, rain, cold, dry, sandstorm. You know, you're out there experiencing it. And yet this says that it is better to live in a corner of the roof with that those conditions than in a house shared with a contentious woman. woman. So when I allow myself, for whatever reason, to get to the point where I am arguing, 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 trying to pick a fight, um, upset if I don't have my own way, whether it's through genuine fatigue, whether it's just through sin, unconfessed sin, you know, whatever the reason, if I'm doing that, I am not building a home that is a refuge, and it will affect everyone else in the house, even the dog. It will affect us all. Did I give you Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-four? I don't know if I did. That's the exact same thing. It is better to live in a corner of the roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Now, the Bible does not repeat itself with no reason. It's either because the problem is so rampant that God wants to get our attention or just you know, he wants us to realize that this is something he's serious about. Okay? So being contentious does not create a refuge. Um, how about Proverbs 17, verse 1? We were um, campus ministers for 27 years. And uh, one of my favorite meals was on Sunday lunch. Uh, before we left for church, I put cooking in a big stew pot all the leftovers I had frozen from the week. I froze them in a big milk carton, and then I threw in salad or crunched up Doritos or whatever else we had, mixed it all in a big stew pot, and cooked that for our Sunday lunch. When we got home for church, it was ready to eat. And it was delicious, guys, and it was a free meal. Well, my sweet husband once invited some people from church to come home for lunch with us. And you can guess the rest of the story. That's what we had for lunch, so that's what we ate. And they loved it, and they wanted my recipe. <laughs> so I said, well, you take your old meatballs and your <laughs> stale bread and your... <laughs> See, the, the thing about Doritos is that they are a great soup thickener. I never had known that before. And they had just enough salt, where if you're not adding extra salt, they give it a good flavor. And the lettuce just be kind, of, kind of becomes pulpy. I mean, I don't think it adds any nutrition to it, but it, it adds a little bit of bulk. So whatever, you know, you, it, I don't know, it may violate every nutrition law in the world, <laughs> but it fed my family a free meal. <laughs> and I was grateful for it. Now, why do I bring that up? Because... Better is a dry morsel and quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have, what your budget is like, what time of the month it is, whether you have an abundance or little. A house that is full of feasting with strife, a beautiful meal with strife, is not a refuge. Okay? It would be better to have the dry morsel and quietness. Okay, Proverbs nineteen thirteen. Okay. A foolish son is destruction to his father, and a contentious son is 
contentions of a wife are a constant. Okay, that we're getting back to the contentions, aren't we? Have you ever been asleep at night or just about to go to sleep, and then you hear this drip, drip, drip? It's almost impossible to go to sleep with that, isn't it? I mean, and it's a, it's a such a no big deal sound, but it's just that constant dripping. Well, that's what we are like when we are argumentative, when we bring the same thing up over and over and over again. And I already told you all that sometimes when I do it, it's because I genuinely am convinced that I just tell him one more time he would understand and conform to the way I want to do it. (laughs) But God says that is being contentious, that he is going to reach a point where he is ready to go up on the roof, and ours is not a flat roof. It would be a major job to get up on it. And if I don't want to think of him, if he can't go up on the roof, he's going to compare me to a dripping faucet. I don't think so. But those are all definitions of what a refuge is not. We don't want that in our homes. But if we're not careful, that can be the atmosphere we create. And sometimes it happens without us even realizing it. It just creeps up on us. You know, you have a bad day, then that ends up being a bad week. And I understand if you've got sick kids, if you've got stress from some other source, if you've just got little kids where you aren't getting enough sleep, um, it is very hard. It is very hard to maintain an atmosphere of peace in the home. But God says that is a gift we can give our husbands, is if we create a refuge within our home. Now let's talk about what our goal is, what it is we're doing with this. Proverbs 31, 12. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Can you believe this Proverbs 31 woman? She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. My goodness, how on earth do you do that? But that's her goal. Her goal is to do him good, and that means she is focusing on what is good for him, not what is good for her. It might be the same, it might not, but she is willing to look beyond her own needs. Remember how at the very beginning I said that your husband cannot meet your needs completely. Only God can. So the only way you can do good things for him is if you are letting God meet your own emotional, physical, whatever needs, and then trusting that he is going to um, help you to do good to your husband and not evil. Okay? And when you do that, when you are living in that state, you are creating a refuge in your home. Uh, Let's talk some more about what a refuge is. Who has Psalm 61, verse 3? Okay, this is what a refuge is. The Bible says it's a tower of strength. When we were in England several years ago, we were coming back from Africa. Uh, We visited the city of Lewis, which is where uh, a bunch of Christian martyrs were burned at the stake in, I don't know what year, long, long time ago. But there was a hill that had the remnants of a castle on it, The only thing that was left, because at one point some enemy had breached the walls and torn them down around the castle, that the castle keep remained. And the castle keep is a tower that they built 
in the center of the castle grounds. The walls were about four feet thick. There were no windows. There was a little slit, kind of like, you know, you see those um, houses that are butterfly houses that have the little doors that are about this long and real narrow. Well, that's what they had in this castle keep wall because they were just wide enough for an arrow shaft to go through. You know, if you turn the arrow sideways, you could shoot it out the walls without um, endangering the people inside. And this was where everybody in the castle ran to when they were being invaded because it was virtually impregnable. No one could crunch the castle keep in the days before the kind of weapons that we have now. And that's what the Bible says God is for us. He is a tower of strength against the enemy. And that's what our home should be. They should be towers of strength that no enemy can penetrate. You know, do, does your family feel safe in your home? Do you protect your home from things that could uh, make people not feel safe? You know, we joke about something being our happy place. Well, our homes should be our happy place. Because we do have an enemy that would like to destroy our families. We know that, the, that Satan, the enemy, is opposed to the family because um, he has said that. And we see that. Okay? So God is our tower of strength. Let's make our homes towers of strength that no enemy can penetrate so that our family can run into it and be safe. Safe from the influences of the world and from the arrows of the enemy. <clears throat> Psalm 62, verse 8. For the Lord trust in his at all times, pour out your hearts to for God is our refuge. For God is our refuge, right? That's the end of it? Good. Yes, God says that we can trust him, that we are can pour out our heart to him because he is our refuge. Can your children pour out their heart to you? Now, if you've got teenagers, you don't always get to choose when that's going to happen. Sometimes it's when you're driving them somewhere in the car. Sometimes it's when you're putting them to bed at night. Sometimes it's when you're in the middle of doing something that you really need to do, and they come in, and that's just the moment. And you can either listen or you can reject them, and that's it as far as them pouring out their heart. I have One of our children... Um, used to always become kind of melancholy at night. And even as an adult, they have, they have that tendency. But that was when they would talk about their day and all the little hurts that they had experienced from other people. Um, but God does that for us, doesn't he? He listens. And we know that we can pour out our hearts to him and he will be our refuge. A refuge is a place where it is safe to be yourself. And that's what our home should be for our family. Okay, Proverbs 31, 15. Okay, again, this is describing the godly woman. She is taking care of her household, isn't she? She's working hard. She even gets up early. When, when I was teaching school, I used to get up early because that was the time when I could have a quiet time without um, other people needing things to be done for them. And I could start a load of wash or get dinner started or, you know, if, if I got up earlier than anybody else by about half an hour, 
I could get a whole lot of stuff done before I left for school. So that's part of creating a refuge, isn't it? Taking care of things that are going to make for a soothing evening rather than me running around like a chicken thinking of, what are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? Uh, gives food to her household and portions to her maiden. She is industrious and not lazy. Okay? Proverbs 31.26. We looked at this earlier, but we're going to revisit it. Use kind, wise speech. It will go maybe farther than anything else. I don't know, that may be too much of a superlative, but it'll go a long way towards creating an atmosphere of peace in your household. Um, my son was telling us that um, this is towards the beginning of COVID. They were taking a family walk down the a neighborhood street, and he said as they passed by, by houses, they could hear people yelling at each other in the houses. Now, again, you know, you want to give grace because this has been an unprecedented time for everybody. So we don't condemn people. But at the same time, if we can control our speech, we can go a long way towards controlling the atmosphere in our home. And sometimes I feel like I just need to drink a glass of water or something, you know, to keep me from saying something that I don't need to say. Anything to slow down the flow, the lava coming forth. <laughs> Okay, Proverbs thirty-one twenty-seven. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. I think this has a bit of a where it says she looks well to the ways of her household. I think that has an element of making her home a priority. You know, do is taking care of my home the last thing I do? If there's time, I squeeze it in, or is it something I make a priority? You know, again, I'm not talking about having your home look like um, a magazine because you're living in it, and that's something that you and your husband decide the level of um, neatness and order at which you are comfortable living because you all need to live there. You know, I, I never wanted my children to feel like they couldn't sit on the couch because they might wrinkle it or something. But um, <clears throat> they're also, on the opposite extreme, there's um, not taking care of what's God given, what God has given us to take care of. So our home does need to be a priority. Um, I've mentioned that I started teaching when my youngest child entered first grade, started out substituting, and then was offered a full-time job and decided to take it. Um, so I don't speak against women working outside the home because um, my father died when I was 11 and my mom had to work to support us. So there's situations where there's really no choice for a single woman. And there are also situations like mine when we projected that we were going to have three kids in the university. We were going to have two or three children in the university for 10 years just because of the ages and the number of kids we had. And so we needed uh, another income. And we banked my salary to use for some of those things that we needed. So I'm not speaking against a woman working outside the home. You and your husband have to decide what the needs of your family are, what your capacity is, and uh, what you need to do. But it should be secondary to the needs of your family. 
And I took a job teaching um, in a school that was right around the corner from my house. So there was not a long commute. Um, when I was offered a better job at a different school that was farther away, I turned it down. When I was offered a job working as a secretary in a church, which would have meant more money, but more hours, I turned it down. So it just means that you keep your home a priority over your job. And, you know, all of those things that at the time seemed like really big sacrifices, when I look back on the years that my children were home and um, really the things that we needed to do with them, we were able to do. And um, there were times when we would be working on our taxes for the year and we had an accountant help us make sure we did everything correctly. When you are working with a nonprofit, you have to be careful about that. And he would frequently say to John, I don't know how you all live on what you have. You know, we just figured out how to do it. And I don't say that in a proud way. I just say it that when you choose your priorities, God can help you work out the other things. Sometimes what you think is important is really not important. I've given you some handouts, and there's two on making your home a refuge. One is, is my, my home a refuge in these areas? And again, we're thinking of your family, but we're also specifically talking today about ministering to your husband in this area. So, is your home a refuge from chaos? Think about it. When your husband comes home from work, is he greeted by screaming, crying children? Have I been saying, just wait till your father gets home, rather than dealing with discipline issues on my own? Does everybody stop what they're doing and greet their dad or do whatever he likes to be done as far as a re-entry thing? I mean, we never trained our dog to carry him in slippers, but... I did train my children to go greet him, and he, he enjoyed that. Is it a refuge from the battles of life? Would my husband choose to come home over stopping with friends at a bar to unwind? Does he feel like he has to unwind somewhere else because when he gets home, it's going to have a tense atmosphere? I don't want that. I, want, I don't want that. What about when someone is sick? I used to joke about how I never got to be sick by myself <laughs> because inevitably if I was sick, someone else was sick. And that's just part of a family, right? I also think part of it was, well, mom's going to be home today, so I'm not really feeling well. Why don't I just stay home with her? <laughs> but what is your home like when everybody's sick? Does everything just fall apart? So think about these areas. How about during times of discouragement and life's difficulty? Does your home stay a refuge? It can. It's work. And it's with God's strength that it can. And I guarantee you, when you work at accomplishing this in your home, you stand out as a light in the darkness. And you never know. There was a young boy who... Um, my son got to be friends with on the baseball team, and he invited him to come to our house for dinner one night because he thought it would. My son thought it would be a way to get him to go to church afterwards if we fed him dinner. So he did. Well, I didn't know ahead of time that this was happening, but um, fortunately, I wasn't serving my everything soup. 
But we were, it was April 1st, and we were having a backwards dinner. So this guy who had never met us before comes to the door, and I greeted him with, oh, goodbye, goodbye. We're so glad you could come. And my son knew what was going on, but this guy didn't. He kind of looked at me like, uh, do I really want to go in? So he came in, and we had everything I could think of to do backwards. I had a, an arrangement upside down in the middle of the table. We ate pineapple upside down cake first, and then we had spaghetti with the spaghetti on top of the meatballs, and, you know, just whatever I could think of. I set the table with everything upside down. Um, well, that guy is now a youth minister, and he still talks about that night, and he still talks about some of the things he learned by being around our family when he speaks um, uh, to his youth group and in different things with his church. It made an impression. Now, did we know at the time that that was happening? No, I thought, boy, he is never going to want to darken my door again. (laughs) But what he saw was a family who could laugh together, who loved each other, you know, prayed before their meals. It was so different from anything he was experiencing at home, and God used it to draw his heart towards himself. So we don't know how God is going to use our homes, but that is his intention. First is a refuge for our own families, for our husbands, then for our family, and then for the world, the community. Um, We have hosted many international students, and there have been some times when we have hosted international students from countries, you know, like one time we had a Thanksgiving dinner unknowingly until it happened with some members of the Shah's army from Iran who were studying at the university where we were ministering. They'd been sent for special I don't know, army training, and some members of the Kolomini's student group who were both at that same university, and unknowingly we had invited them all to our house at the same time for Thanksgiving, and my oven didn't work, but that's another story. God provided, I won a turkey in a raffle at J.C. Penney's. <laughs> I mean, talk about a crazy Thanksgiving. But, you know, we talked about families. Here were these two guys from literally warring factions. But when we came together and could talk about families and they were around our little kids and playing with them, you know, it was a place of refuge for those guys who were so far from home. So let God make your home a refuge for you. Do what you know to create that kind of atmosphere. Um, You can have an influence on your husband's life, on your family's life, and even on your community. God will use it to um, spread the word, encourage, build up. You know, let him use your homes as that. We need refuges, don't, don't we? We need them. This sheet, this last sheet that you got, I think is front and back. These are all examples. Um, a lot of these things you're probably already doing. And so that's great. Just congratulate yourself. Some of these things you may go, oh, I hadn't thought of that before. Well, try something new. Think of what you can do to create the kind of environment in your home that is one conducive to people feeling safe and loved and at peace. And um, see what God does through your family. I really, really appreciate the opportunity 
to share with you all. And I thank you for your patience and for your openness and for the way you've participated in reading scripture and just your willingness to be a part of this. And I hope that as you evaluate these things and pray through what God wants to do in your life, I pray that this will be an encouragement to you. And I pray he will use some of these things to, for you to um, express your love for your husbands and to realize that some of these things you're already doing are really being done for a purpose. And that what God is going to accomplish through it is to um, really work in your husband's life. You are the one who, who is in a position to minister to your husband in these ways. Is there anyone else you want to do it? No. And if we don't do it, basically, these needs of theirs will go unmet because there's no other legitimate way for them to be met. God's put us in that position. So let's take advantage of it. Thank you.